This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I didn't realize how powerful a drug caffeine could be until lockdown when I realized that if you put about three spoons of coffee in, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, man. Until, until the panic attacks start. Then, <laughs> oh. then, yeah, man. Then you know you're I've been business. overdoing it on the on the tea recently. Like a couple of times I left the studio, just feeling like my head's going to explode. Yeah. <laughs> How many teas a day? That's like, uh, that. I think I've, we, we normally have like three. Uh, no, but more that than was that, like, I think. Because, oh, you know, it's, just, it's always like the perfect, well, as, since you stopped smoking as well, Neddy, I think that's sort of, that's been replaced with like, put the kettle on. <laughs> Sort of thing. Yeah. Like- it is. So, so my ten cups of tea a day. <laughs> I feel like punctuating your day with cups of tea instead of cigarettes is probably a little bit better on the health spectrum. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, next, next year. That and ice creams. Ice creams is a big, uh, big <laughs> yeah. vice. In our last place, we used to just constantly throughout the year, three hundred sixty-five days a year, we just go for ice creams. Ice Whoa. cream. Break. We'd be literally just like keep, keep pissing with veins. Yeah, exactly. What's the go-to? What's, well, like same flavor every well, time. Sn- I mix sn- it up. Sn- nah, depends what's on what's in the what's in the freezer. But um, well, um, but definitely the old Magnum goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Magnum Snickers was always a good one. <laughs> Mars bar. That was that. Kind, that was kind of it, really. In our in our place in Kilburn, the local kind of news agent there. That was that was kind of it, really. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> Very often there was just one left. Gotta get the last one. Yeah, exactly. I was listening to your Miami Horror remix today, actually, which I hadn't oh, yeah. heard before. Had uh, I had Josh in the podcast a couple months back, actually. Oh, sick! A while back, sick. How uh, how familiar were you with that song before you kind of came upon it and reworked it? I have to say, I'd never heard it before. Really? Wow. 
I don't know. Had, had you, Neddy? No, I, I definitely heard of the band 100%, but yeah. but um, I'd never, I hadn't heard the tune. That was my first thing. So it was kind of, it was, it's a weird one. It was like a kind of blind spot. Yeah, I don't know how we missed that. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was it was a, a big hit when it came out, wasn't it? It was. It did very well. Yeah, I think they were pretty huge in kind of like Australia and America and South America, but weirdly don't seem to have a massive kind of UK following. Like you were saying when he came on the podcast that they'd never played Scotland or Ireland before. Really? But they never kind of made it over here despite being pretty Missing huge out. over there. Yeah, because we did, I did a kind of, ch- had a chat with them after it was released and did like an Instagram live thing and he was, he was a really nice guy, but he was, he mentioned that actually Australia and Mexico were two particularly outside of the States. They were two big, big places for him. Oh, I think they're from Australia, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He, he kind of, he his accent had kind of, more twisted was a little bit more west coast now i think or a hint of that west coast american thing like a lilt but uh, yeah that was that was wicked yeah i mean are the parameters upon which you judge the success of a remix different to those upon which you would judge the success of just writing a song uh yeah probably yeah definitely yeah i, mean, I, I, I guess yeah. It, really, it really depends doesn't it i mean can be sometimes i think we could think of a successful remix that we've done is just in terms of really really liking it you know uh, and being really happy with bringing something different to the table and reworking it in our way um and then obviously it can also be successful in terms of streams or you know if it's reached another audience um but with your own tune it's sort of a slightly different creative process isn't it yeah yeah because obviously you are really conjuring up all the ingredients from scratch and um you know obviously releasing it within your own campaign and your own sound i mean one of the things we do like to do though with with remixes that that maybe is a little bit more different to other people's things we really do like to try and start a tune from scratch and and put the tune on rather than taking too many elements from the original tune might take the really specific um sort of iconic bits of of the original tune and use them but yeah we'll we'll usually take yeah yeah mainly the vocal and then Mm. maybe a couple of melodic elements rather than kind of um you know you hear a lot of remixes where they manipulate the sounds that are there um we like to kind of build our own little rhythms around it kind of thing which often leads to that the moment in the when you've made the remix where you're like, Sh- uh, should we keep this? We <laughs> yeah, yeah we're quite attached to this. Should we just put another <laughs> yeah. top line on it? And then yeah, on. It's quite good. Put, yeah. put it's funny it you bag. say, I was speaking, I remember speaking to a band a while back and they did that. They did a remix for a band. They didn't like it. So they basically took what they had done, tweaked it a little bit and then used it on one of their own songs. Oh, no way. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely, definitely the way. So it's, it's kind of, can be a bit of a win-win when you're working on remixes. When... It's interesting because, you know, you're saying you'll take those core elements and then you'll kind of build around it with your own stuff. Do you learn different things about your own kind of writing and your own style when you're interweaving it with someone else's creation? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, yeah, I think we're always, always learning um, or hopefully always learning because otherwise you're, you're definitely just sort of probably recreating something you've already done before. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's always just the case of seeing seeing what fits, trying to push it into different ways. I mean... Uh, one of the remixes I really loved working on was the Amber Mark one because, say, harmonically, um, it's in a major key. It's very sort of happy tune. And we totally flipped that tonality and we made it quite dark and minor and put like a much more stomping feel to it. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting in terms of, you know, 
what you're, you're actually you're getting back a totally different emotion it's not just like bits of the original coming in again it's like a, you know totally flipped on its head so that that was a really fun one to work on that was definitely one of my faves how about you ned have you got a favorite uh to be honest actually my favorite one we've done we d- uh, there are two there's we did one for oscar jerome mm, yeah which was was I mean we're big fans of his in the f- in the first place and of stuff he's done whether it be with solo stuff or with Kokoroko, um, but so that one was a, a really fun one to do and we and I I felt like we did a a good job that held up stood up to the tune which was cool um, and then we did this one for a band called Cannons recently which I which which I really liked and we both thought was brilliant but I think the the band Cannons themselves weren't into it which is absolutely fair enough and it's one of those things that you know when you, when they asked you to do a remix you you put your own you want to put your own stamp on it and occasionally it just doesn't quite work with what they what they wanted so so that i really the good thing is is because because the way we do the remixes you know so saying we basically totally rewrite the track underneath the vocal we've got ourselves a track which is lovely (laughs) (laughs) add that to the album pile maybe (laughs) yeah (laughs) how many tracks were you amassed before you go into a record yeah well i mean that's a really interesting uh question especially now because we were saying that because of covid Last year, we would have been doing festivals, festivals and tours non-stop. I mean, we were really booked up 2020 full on. So we wouldn't get into the studio to start writing tunes until end of the year, last year. And then it would have carried on th- this year, uh, more touring and stuff like that. So we've actually amassed a lot more tunes than perhaps we would have done at this point had uh, the pandemic not happened we've just had that extra time to write tunes in the studio so at the moment we i mean we're probably sitting on 20 odd 20 that sort of thing but they're all you know they're sketches really we always uh we try and get everything up to sort of about we would say about 70 percent writing wise and then we'll you know just keep adding to the pile and then we'll go back in and then when we pick out the ones we want to run forward with then we'll go in for that extra push you know it's just really squeeze everything out of it you possibly can and add you know that's when we start adding the orchestral element strings or um you know if we want to get in our drummer to add some live hi-hats or those kind of little finessing bits re-record parts you know i know you you quite often bring in the sounds of sri lanka those kind of field recordings yeah man yeah 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 keen ear is that a is that a flourish that you would add on at the end or is that something that's kind of present and baked into the mix from early on yeah we'll usually slap it in there if 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 an idea is starting to sound cool after half a day a day and we just want to you know you just go in and you spend 10 minutes just making the bass sound a bit more juicy or the drums you know going in just a little bit on the production at that point we might slap it in just to give it that frank moody stamp um, or one, you know, a little way towards that anyway. But yeah, keen ear, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm glad you noticed that. It, it gives them a sense of cohesiveness, doesn't it? It's just these little threads that are quite subtle and subconscious, but kind of allow the things to exist in the same place. We usually have to explain to mix engineers that it's not a mistake. That, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's meant to be there. They're often like, uh, it seems like you've got some crickets um, on your stem here. Is there? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, it's supposed to be there. <laughs> Where else would they think crickets were coming from? 
got an infestation in the studio. Know, that's just a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just a couple trapped in my amp. Our ambient Sri Lankan field recording album that's yet to be released. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, you were saying there as well that you'll get a lot of these tracks up to like 70%, and then when you kind of select the ones that you want to kind of push ahead and finish off. How much can you hear of where they're going when they're at that kind of level where they're mostly there? I, I would say pretty much all of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can tell pretty quickly what, which tunes are worth keeping and which, you know, which ones feel quite special or, or which ones are worth losing or whatever. But we, we know where when it's at 70%, it's really, it's the minutiae really that you're dealing with. It's it's not so much the the major, the major yeah, song parts. Even, even if, if you like have that. an idea that you work on early on and you're really into it and then you carry on working but for some reason it doesn't quite click somewhere along the line or the idea gets a little bit lost somewhere then that's in the can well before 20 70 percent do you see what i mean that's 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 out so so the playlist we're working off now would be you know hopefully stuff that we can properly kind of have a listen to and just pick and choose what we think's gonna make a record and you know tick all the tick all the various boxes that we want to and also sonically, I suppose one of the key things that when you go in, when it's seventy percent done for the seventy to one hundred percent, that final thirty percent is making sure so- sonically it's all cohesive as a as a body of tunes, like um, that that you're not suddenly doing a sort of thrash metal tune <laughs> or a you know like a folk folk tune that, that sonically it all just marries up nicely. Yeah, and you've got some, and not so just to add to that, you've got some nice things that are threading together through the tracks you know so some some sounds that are reoccurring maybe or you know some some sort of motifs that are coming and going throughout the record that's that's our aim anyway you know we've only we've only released one album so far but we learned a lot doing it and it's great you know it's nearly said like to have this time although it's been a hell of a year in many ways like it's been great to have the time to work on our production skills and our writing and um we're just super excited to be in a position where we can just keep releasing music really amazing what you were saying there about those motifs that you'll kind of identify to ensure that it sounds sonically cohesive throughout the record once you've kind of consciously identified them and picked them out do you sometimes like flesh them out a little bit more or will you kind of approach them in a different way or do they just stay where they are ah i i guess the over there's there's got to be like John and I will have discussions from now. We have had lots of discussions about what we want to do thematically uh, within the album. How what's the overarching vibe or concept of the album? I don't know. I mean, I think I think we'll just ensure that those motifs run throughout the the all the tunes mm. really, and that that and that there's that we're writing the tunes or producing the tunes with that overarching idea in, in mind, basically. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of what guides you in the process then. It's kind of what keeps you centred. You need to have these things in mind in order to kind of keep that perspective. 100%. 100%. And, and more so with this forthcoming album, I think. The, the last one we did w- was that there were, you know, motifs and themes that we explored and stuff like that. But I, th- I think we want to be a, even more ambitious with it this time even more like and, bold, and really. stylized you know just like really fine-tuning yeah. that and it being very very obvious to whoever's listening what what it is we're trying to get across which is which is cool and as i say maybe again having had the year to reflect on that it's hopefully gonna add to a better end result was a lot of that ambition kind of directly informed 
by the first album? Um, I don't know, really. No, I think it's always, always like moving forward, I, th- I would say, Neddy, wouldn't you think? Like, we were just thinking, like, what, yeah, what's the music that we want to do? What, what are the, what's the world that we want to step into? You know, of course, probably learning a lot from every record we make uh, and, and you know, want to keep progressing those skills. But it's, I think it's definitely more about how we want a, the, the next record to sound rather than sort of looking back on what we you know, uh, was sort of like wishing the first record sounded like, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Almost tying it off, maybe? Like you're kind of, you've accomplished what you wanted with that one, and now it's about looking about what you want to do going forward that's different and excites you now. Yeah, a little bit. And I think it will all be very much under the Frank Moody umbrella of sounds and sonics and energy kind of thing. 100%. Hopefully that will just be a common thread that comes with Ned and I writing and recording tunes, you know. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Actually, I was having a listen this morning, and I was like, "Ooh, it's gonna be good." <laughs> <laughs> How far in are you? Well, when does it end? Really, I don't know. Um, uh, I guess when we've got a date to release something, and then we'll... we we kind of have in our heads a little. We have a time, I think, that we want to kind of vaguely start releasing. Certainly, the first singles from this next body of work which would probably be around you know going into winter end of autumn sort of thing whether the album's ready at that point it remains to be seen but um i think we'd like to have uh, it kind of well on its way by the end of the summer in terms of writing certainly do you need a deadline to finish something because i remember you had a deadline for the first record as well right that's right yeah it definitely helps because otherwise you just you know you could just keep on well i mean when do, when do you ever finish a record really you know you keep keep going forever um mm. so i think it's really helpful to have a deadline actually definitely because also you drive yourself insane you know what if what if what if um where it's just quite good to go like that feels good that's how it's gonna be <laughs> stamp it. with the last record we actually did do one song literally at the 11th hour <laughs> uh, this is a mood was literally like it was like we had a deadline by midnight and we got it in just in time it was like that wasn't it It was wasn't it i remember uh, like i remember being up the night before the strings came in which was like the few hours before we sent it to mix and just like writing the arrangements at like two in the morning and just being like oh my god this better work <laughs> out do you know what i mean like <laughs> this better sound good because this is it <laughs> and we need an extra song <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Can you hear that in the arrangement? Is there a certain kind of rawness that maybe comes from that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's quite tightly packaged, isn't it? It's kind of three minutes, pretty neatly structured. It was really nice about that song is it's one of those times where a, a tune comes together in a week. It's literally just like yeah. the whole thing is done in a week. In fact, which, 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 which hardly really cool. happens, does it? Which is thank, yeah. thank God, thank God it did with that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that's always a really good sign. Basically, if 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 something happens really quickly, then it's 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 feels instinctive, you know, and just good. That's interesting. You use that word, instinctive. Are are different parts of the process kind of driven by instinct in that way, and are different parts driven by kind of conscious thought? and kind of looking at it and unpacking it and trying to work out where it needs to go in quite a manual kind of way. I, I mean, I think um, instincts is huge, isn't it, Neddy? I mean, you especially talk about it. So you, you know, it's like trusting your instincts. Yeah, I, I think it's like what I, what I would say to any like young musician starting is just trust your your own instincts and like uh, give yourself the respect of like just like following through your own ideas and don't try and be 
like anyone else and develop your own personality and music and stuff like that. And and for us, it's hundred percent that we'll work on instinct in terms of coming up that with the early ideas. I think are instinct, whether it's a beat, chords, and melody and stuff like that. But then there is you get to the it's like the seventy percent on. You definitely then have to use a little bit of thought. Otherwise, I mean, you have to work out what, how it fits within the Frank mood. You think, which is it can be very creative as well. But it's it's more thoughtful. It's a bit of curating basically that has to go into that. Um, it past the instinctive stage. I think. Is there anything you need to do to kind of ensure that you don't lose trust in your instinct and your intuition? I, I'm not sure, but I think to just um, just just to keep listening and to keep really like active with what's going on around us, like in, in our, in our world and our scene and listening to lots and lots of music and, you know, following other bands and just seeing where everything's sitting. You know, I think that probably helps quite a lot if with, with trusting uh, decisions and yourself, not, not, not so much in terms of like comparing yourself to everyone, but just knowing that your ears in the, in the mix, do you know what I mean? Knowing where, knowing that you you've you've got an eye on the ball. You know. Also, that other thing is if you start, which we all have, we you know that sort of moment where you're you're trying to write tunes and you get into a bit of a rut, and 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 you have a sort of form of writer's block really, and you just nothing's coming easily. Is is the kind of uh, ability to like just stop for a second and go and do something else, shelve totally it for different. a bit, shelve yeah. it shelve it and um move away from it don't try and push through sometimes the pushing through you just find yeah. yourselves in the mariana trench which is tricky because <laughs> yeah. sometimes that initial idea you get is really really exciting and you can just see it all coming together perfectly and then as you work through it actually you know take a few wrong turns here and there or for whatever reason it doesn't work out but then often you know we found ourselves there many a time just sort of grinding through it but i think we're learning more and more when to just go right put that to one side for a minute listen listen to it again in a month see how we feel about it maybe we're just a bit too attached to the idea maybe we're just totally missing the point so that's that's definitely been a, a something we've learned in our workflow would you say Niddy? yeah definitely i mean there's like tunes like dw that we've had in the <laughs> bank for a long time that we just go just back to for that perfect yeah, time. i know and it's and these ones that we literally have banks of tunes just like ready and actually often we go back and they're not quite they're not quite the bangers we might have thought them to be <laughs> seriously bad tunes yeah i think um our, one our day lo- we're going to release them <laughs> our lovely label and management juice box are, are very sound ears on that so i think we trust their ears quite quite a lot when you present the tunes you know we've had a couple of times where we've shown them stuff and they've been like eh, eh. And we're like no this is the best song ever written and they're like nope we're not going to release it. And we're like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> and we're like, how dare and then, you? And then you listen back to it and go like, thank God that never came out. What you were saying there is what, you know, when you have an idea and you're trying to push through and you can't quite get it. So you have to, you have to go away from it for a while. What do you turn to when you go away from it? Do you start creating something new? Do you go to another started idea? What do you do to kind of re-energize yourself when you're in that frustrated place? I think start, starting something new is definitely the way to do it. Um, cause you, you know, if you've been at a block, it's quite good to get, get it flowing again, you know, just get some stuff out rather than going back and being like, oh, what about that problem? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's problems everywhere. Uh, I think you've got to pick your battles, you know. How does the instrument you start on kind of inform your thought process and your approach and where you go with it? Quite a lot really. Um, yeah, yeah, it depends. I mean, we found it, 
you know, we, we'd often start a track with a just laying down a simple beat and, uh, you know, often some chords or a bass line or whatever. And actually, more and more now recently, uh, that simple beat is getting, can be a little bit monotonous and like sort of just drastically switching up the tempos has been really cool recently. Uh, or putting in like a, a rough drum sample from Splice or something like that just to get things going a bit differently rather than just the kind of, you know, kick pounding on the doof, 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 you know. I think that's been quite inspiring recently. But just to mix it up, I think, is key. Just to get the ideas flowing, especially, I imagine, um, for you, Neddy, like, lyrically, what you can do at different tempos, changes, and different feels, whether it's a swing or straight beat, all that kind of stuff, to, just to keep that evolving all the time, I think, again, is something we've been learning more and more. Yeah, and we were saying yesterday to someone um that that uh one of the things we do certainly is like like anyone does i'm sure everyone does this is have a, a shared uh notes uh basically on our phones where if you sort of see an interesting phrase or uh, some sort of word or an idiom or something that's just kind of interesting just write it down and that can often be the basis for you you know you're going to write use that phrase or expression as a basis for a tune and and uh, you know, often it can start in a million different ways, basically tunes, but that kind of helps as well. Right, was it skin on skin? You had the title for for ages before it. You had that kind of phrase. Yeah, that was. We had that. And chemistry was that. that yeah, was that, that that was the chorus line. Chemistry that was definitely been kicking about the notes that, for a long time. That was in there. Yeah, that was um, that was there for a while. And uh, yeah, skin on skin was just there for a, a long time actually. Um, and it just kind of worked really nicely with that, the chords and the melody and stuff like that. So I was thinking of an idea this morning, Neddy. How about athlete's foot? <laughs> I'm into it. It's quite good with the with, with the idea that you've been dancing so hard that you've actually given yourself athlete's foot. Oh my yeah. god, that's incredible! That's incredible. Could be a rival to um, what's it? There's that um, Kasabian tune, Clubfoot. Oh, Clubfoot! Yes, that's so athlete's good. foot. It's just the more modern version. Yeah, exactly. Gangrene. Here we go. Yeah. Let's do this. Stub toe from the Stub toe EP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Called minor injuries EP. Yeah, exactly. A <laughs> and E. Yeah, <laughs> that's genius. <laughs> Love it. When uh, when you have a phrase that does kind of resonate and you it suddenly sparks something in you, is that because it's like combining with a beat or an idea, or is it just kind of completely energizing something new? Ah, uh, I th I think um, it's it's it it normally happens. Like we'll have these phrases floating around, uh, around that we've, we've really enjoyed for a long time. Uh, and then, you know, and then we'll start separately. Very often this is how I start a beat, start a bass line, some chords, some guitar, whatever. And then, and then we'll be thinking about sort of humming melodies and phrases and stuff like that. And then we'll, we'll open up the notebook or we'll have in our mind some of those expressions and we'll th check you know whether it fits the tone or the mood of the, of the arrangement that we have the loose arrangement and then very often we'll just work around that and explore those themes so like skin on skin was um i mean that was pretty quick dopamine the tune was there really we kind of knew the melodies but it was it was it was i think it was in the notebook wasn't it so we just yeah, went for yeah, it off there yeah. Yeah. I think also it depends on on the on the on the beat. You know, if if we, there's something like really something that we really like instrumentally, like it depends if it's 
kind of a quick upbeat thing and maybe you just need a couple of little vocal bits just to kind of a couple of hooks here and there or whether it's more songy like flesh and blood or skin on skin mm. where actually you could really go in flesh out all the verse melodies and therefore more lyric content so yeah i think it just again instincts is instinctively sort of going with the flow totally like the ep we just were about to release but that losing touches on we we were quite sparse with the vocals actually, and like John said, it was more, it was more, uh, it was a more sort of maybe a clubbier, more instrumental EP that's still to come. But um, and interspersing the the instrumentals with just key little melodies and and hooks basically vocally, but not not overdoing it, letting the music drive like our first uh, EP really. Yeah, it was all just instrumental, like, wasn't it? Yeah, that's just right. let, let those melodies kind of saying basically it's funny i thought of that when i heard losing touch because you had the whole first minute of that is basically there's no lyrics apart from that kind of vocal sample yeah that's right yeah mm. and that's something we wanted to do actually we wanted to make Ned's voice sound quite samply like we nicked it from a record you know um and you just recorded it holding the mic in the room didn't you it's very sort of casual yeah you could yeah, and actually we did we did some work with um uh, with Todd Edwards a while back, um, in maybe two, what, two years ago in 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 LA, um, and his kind of thing shtick is uh, is that chopping vocal thing and creating melody out of it. It's kind of amazing, really, just moving vocals around so it creates its own kind of tune. Does it change the way you think about your voice when you kind of figure out how you can treat it in so many different ways like that and kind of mess around with it? Well. When you can tune it, yeah. <laughs> well, when I can, when I realised I could tune it, it was a game changer. Yeah. I realised I, I got basically a singing license. It's like getting yeah. a singing license, um, um, so that's huge. Um, uh, affecting it, yeah. I mean, it's like evolved so much in terms of how we want to process it and put vocals on. I, like I, I prefer. Like a, a pretty dry vocal, really. Um, not too many effects. And John probably prefers a, a more wetter vocal. And we kind of, with Frank Moody, we kind of meet in the middle, really. I think so it sort of like, depends, doesn't it? And yeah. also, I think it's really effective, like, having the contrast of it. So, I mean, Losing Touch is quite a good example. It's actually super dry. There's no reverb or delay or very little on all the verse. And then um, having the sample that comes in, which is like really dubbed out and loads of delayed. And that's kind of nice contrast to, you know, and then some tracks will just really suit having a really long delayed tail all over it and, and others not. So yeah. very much a case of seeing what fits aesthetically. But, yeah. um, but I don't think it really, get, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Neddy, but I don't think it gets in the way of like how you would how deliver your, your take, right? No, not at all. I mean, there was a time, the only thing I would say, there was a time where our set, just through chance, all the tunes we'd written had incredibly high, with incredibly high keys. So it meant that on tour, when you're having to sing every night, you know, a month-long tour every night, having to, like, sing so high constantly every night was quite sort of nerve-wracking because you just, you'll buy, literally after, a f you know, a few pints after the first gig, you're like, wow, my voice is shot now for the rest of the tour. <laughs> so that was that was quite tricky, but um, kind of worked our way through that, I think. S slowly being um, 
been lowering the keys of the songs like yeah. <laughs> so the lowest the lowest sounding band ever I mean it was like opening up on um pheromones was literally has the highest note known to man and it was literally I was like my whole brain would explode trying to hit that <laughs> To come, just to come back to what you were saying there about how when you're recording the vocal takes, you're not really thinking about how you're going to treat it. It's, it's kind of very raw, just performance and natural. Does that almost come back to what you were saying about intuition as well? Are the vocal takes just performed from a place of intuition and then you kind of treat them after from the place of conscious thought? No, do you know, do you know what? It's, it, it's that. I mean, when, when we're coming up with the tunes and the melodies and the lyrics and stuff you know when we're just we often do this thing where we where, where we'll step aside from the beat from the production and we'll just keep like the kick in just keeping time um and john will go to the upright piano and i'll go onto the guitar and we'll just like loop the chords and loop this like whatever vocal melody we're working with and lyric and we'll just do that and that feels very intuitive but when it comes to recording the vocal, generally speaking, we're quite we're quite precise and we'll comp it. Um, we'll do a few takes and really comp it out. I guess it's a it's quite a technical thing, isn't it? It's about hitting that specific note and that specific point. Yeah, and 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 they're definitely you know when you're doing you, you want because you just want to and also the harmonies as well. We'll spend a we'll have a yeah spend a lot of time getting the harmonies really nailed, um, just because it can be so impactful when that's you know, sounding really full and rich and fat. So we'll spend a lot of time on that. We'll go in hard and make sure it's like perfect. And we don't, we don't, I was joking about the tuning earlier. We, do, we hate using tuning. We <laughs> never, what? never use it. Um, well, and, uh, well, well, <laughs> well, no, no, to be fair, the only time we've used it was on, on the, a live thing where it was just a little bit off. We've never used it in the studio. Well, there was, um, uh, there was one, mu- okay. On the chorus of She's Too Good For Me, the high octaves. Oh, yeah. I kept on saying, guys, please, can we take the tuning off off that? I was like, you know, it's not the slight discordance is, you know, any song pre-19, you know, any song pre-1980, the vocals are always going to be a slightly a quarter tone out or whatever it is, like, you know that you ride that note everyone does it and just to explain by the way this was in the mix stage so this was um, not this us. Is getting getting mixed by uh by the amazing mark ralph and i think he just would do a blanket very small tuning thing on all the vocals and we heard it and straight away the first mix were like please take it off please take it off and then he was like i've taken it off and we're like are you sure you've taken it off <laughs> and then like it, it just was on a bit <laughs> it was just on to the high notes because i think i'm so sensitive to it like i i know when things have been slightly tuned it's like hearing your voice suddenly sing this perfect held note up really high it's just like that is physically impossible <laughs> and, uh, you sound like a sort of chipmunk and um, yeah, yeah, it's still on there. Still slightly bugs me a little bit. But you know, it's just life, isn't it? It's interesting though, because the chorus of that song packs such a punch. Would it still do the same if you took the tuning off, do you think? Or is it just getting you to that point where it's able to hit so it's, specifically? It's actually, I, th- I think it's just the, the tuning bit really is only in the mid late, isn't it, Neddy? So it's not in the chorus? Uh, or or maybe, is it in the chorus? I think if it, it is in the chorus, it's very, very subtle. So I don't, I, I don't think it would alter things enough to change that punch. Do you know what? One of the great tricks of that chorus that Mark did was he, there's a stop just before the chorus, hits the snare drum, um, which is obviously in the writing process. But when he mixed it, 
he cut an, a, a millisecond of absolute silence before the chorus comes in. And he says it's one of his techniques to make sure the chorus comes slamming in. So you, your ear just has that little silent moment. Do you see what I mean? And yeah. then it just comes in like a sneeze train, which I thought was a wicked trick. And we've been, we've been nicking that a little bit ourselves <laughs> from, in, in the writing process. Do you think about across the record at large? Do you think about how... How much thought do you actually put into the kind of gaps that you leave, even between tracks or something? That that kind of dead air, that silence. Oh, far too much time thinking about all that. Yeah, yeah, the sleepless nights, <laughs> wondering yeah. how many how many seconds there will be at the end of a track before the next one comes in. Yeah, totally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> kills it's like me. it's like a um, you know, track listing. Really tough, you know. And and I remember we were all having this debate with Adam and Becky as well for the for the last album. Oh, managers. And, uh, you know, and you'd get that everyone would, you'd always know what starts and what ends, but then the chap, you you know, it's like, you basically have to write an essay with arguments for and against why that track should be third or fourth. It's sort of madness. Really. Crazy. And also set list live as well. That's a whole different game. Oh as my well, God, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and it can be really tricky and can often take a few gigs to get it right. Just keeping the flow of a gig, you know, keeping it all, you know, you don't want it. Oh yeah, it's just tricky. There's there's so many different ways you could go about it. But then you're, you're we, we we've always managed to get there in the end, haven't we? But we've got we've been through some roller coasters trying to get the set list right. And everyone, you know, everyone cares so much about it, which is awesome. And you should do. Um, but of, often that comes with it. Uh, you know, again, sleepless nights. Um. <laughs> is that a different thing structuring an album? when you kind of have all the pieces there because with a set list you kind of have a lot of choice in terms of what you're going to put in whereas with a record you kind of have your when you I imagine when you're structuring that you have your kind of track selected and good to go yeah it's tricky isn't it i mean it's always cool to have like a very very strong start you know and also traditionally having a couple of the big bigger singles early on just because that thing of like how how long is the attention span of someone who's going to just be checking out the band so got to try and lure them in um but it's very different to a show it's not like you have a grand finale on an album necessarily is it or you you know take it down two-thirds of the way through this i don't think there's any rules or regs um i guess it's about it being the best listen possible and also you know if there are any tracks that could link together nicely or or, or would you know one ends and the other one starts in a particularly nice way but yeah i'd say the, the biggest comment there is Putting in some, putting in some of the strongest ones at the very start, and just grabbing the attention. Do you think about that in songs directly as well, in terms of having these moments early on that are going to hook people in? Yeah, I'd say so. It depends. Like for a single, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, I think it's important just to have. You know, it's, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'd love it, but like for a single, if you want it to get played on radio or playlists and stuff like that it's probably not the best idea to have sort of six minutes of a bass solo before <laughs> um you know the first verse comes in um but you know loosely like that and i, and I do mean loosely i don't think there should be too many rules or we or we, we don't follow too many rules but um yeah you know we we, we want to play the game we want to we want our stuff to stream as well as possible and as many people to listen to it so you know, we would for the single stuff definitely try and get the vocals in nice and early and get the hooks flowing. Basically, <laughs> that's it. losing touch kind of goes against that a little bit, though. Yes, which is awesome, and that's and we and we 
the, the, the sort of point of this EP was to kind of step away from that actually um, and to have you know the next track coming out is like six minutes or whatever definitely not designed to be played on the radio or anything and, and losing touch I don't know we, we didn't write it with that in mind at all we wanted it to feel more like a real listener's experience like 100% there was there was no this one we were not aiming for like crazy support the radio and number ones this was just something we wanted to put out really and and I think that the main point of it was putting it out as well with four the four studio tracks which is me and John and then on the B side four live tracks which with the band so us playing those tracks live with the other four members, well, five for this one, five members of of the band, really. So you get that flavor, the studio flavor and the live flavor of the same songs, which is cool. But there was never any like, like John said, never any chat that we were we were going to try and make sure we got onto a playlist track. And, yeah, the cool, the cool, what something we liked about losing touch actually was, it's just started to feel very like linear and felt like we just wanted to set up a groove that just stayed there and almost became quite monotonous and have stuff weaving in and out of it you know there's not a big jump up to the chorus the mid late the strings come in a bit but it's the groove more or less stays there you know we i think we've enjoyed writing like that actually it's something we we haven't really explored that format before and it was quite fun well funny i was thinking about this the other day is like dopamine's a bit like that you know in in most sort of pop songs or whatever you'd have intro the iconic intro that makes everyone go oh my god i love this song then you drop down into the verse then you have pre-chorus chorus maybe the head the intro again then verse you know it's that sort of thing but like dopamine was like totally linear as well just just gradually just went like that there was you didn't know where the verse was or the pre-chorus just kind of kept on going and that's definitely on this ep it's like the vibe isn't it? it's like a chance it's sort of a chance to explore those like slightly weirder structures again and just something we love doing we're writing just setting up a, a really nice groove and then just weaving in and out in and out of it and around it it gives it more of a spontaneous feel yeah maybe that's cool yeah is that something mirrored in the process i mean yeah maybe um i guess so i guess so without thinking about it too much but yeah i suppose so um it's also quite hard like the next track we're going to be releasing is, as I say, like it's a proper six minute of like the same pounding drum groove and the same one note on the bass. But then it's all, then it becomes about finding the journey, right? So, and there's, 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 well, there's a couple of lyrics at the very end, but it's far from like your song. But then it becomes about how do you find, keep the interest and get the right parts moving and flowing and, you know, peaks and troughs and all that kind of stuff. Which is, it's a different challenge. Will you learn lessons from that that you can then carry if you go back to some, writing something in a more kind of conventional structure? Yeah, man, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, this, uh, the, the album, you know, that we're writing now has got so much of both flavors, you know. I, we ju we're just not, like, when we do traditional song structures, it's because we just enjoy that. Like, that's, that's just something we like from time to time. But then equally, like, the more sort of ambient, sort of soundscapey, never-ending tune is just as valid, you know, and, and it's just about marrying them together, really. Totally. I also think with the album, it's like such a nice chance to bring in some very different 
ideas, whether it's just like a kind of minute interlude of Sri Lankan cricket or whatever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, in and amongst the more fleshed out meaty tunes, you can sort of go off on on a bit of a tangent just for a minute. You know, well, it's like Night Flight. They reprise on the last album. Mm, mm, exactly. Exactly. That, that's actually the best place to hear the crickets at the beginning of that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, it's an interesting one. What's the the overview effect? Because I understand that had a kind of quite important role thinking about that in the construction of that song. Yeah, it's correct. That's uh, the overview effect is supposed to, is is the um, the term astronauts use when they are looking back at Earth for the first time, and apparently it's this very overwhelming sensation you get of sheer beauty and power and all of the, all of the above um, and we thought quite a cool thing to try and recreate that sort of vision of vast expanse you know um, before especially before we, we live didn't work out like that on the out al- on the album track listing but live we play it just before we drop night flight and then you know night flight is all about charged up and getting up to space and this kind of crazy journey perfect prelude to that in a way um, and something that we wanted to actually, we to be fair, we the, the the original, the very stem of the idea came from wanting to have a moment in our live set where we dropped the intensity for a little bit and try to kind of really center the focus of the audience. Um, so it wasn't just like slamming tunes all the way through and kind of break up the set nicely. And then it sort of evolved into something we wanted to put on the record. Yeah, you you want to give the set a balance in that way, and it kind of makes the moments kind of take on a different resonance when they're kind of contrasted against something a little bit more subdued. Yes, I think yeah, when it all comes piling back in again, it's 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 a little bit more exciting, you know. Just to to come back to the overview effect quickly, when you were writing that, were you trying to imagine what that would feel like then? I suppose so. We spend a lot we spend a lot of time watching like space videos and stuff. <laughs> we, we love it and like researching various space missions. We're just obsessed. Yeah. Um, and H- hence uh, like, Yuri as well on the instrumental. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe it probably's just come from that copious hours of just being fascinated with men in earth, uh, men in men in space. <laughs> men, <laughs> men, in, men in earth. Yeah, gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> gardening videos is that uh, does that kind of stretch back to childhood or where does that kind of obsession for space come from or that interest in it I don't know really yeah maybe a bit of um, childhood stuff I mean I don't know just like it's something that's kind of interesting and uh, I mean it's, it's it's insanely interesting about that you know space travel and and um, I don't know how we even I can't even remember how we how sort got, of got into it. I think I think it actually I don't know a lot of it was like sonically as well when I first bought my my first synthesizers like a Juno Roland Junos and it just sounds like spacey yeah, textures really That's futuristic it. and sci-fi and like spacey and that kind of and then we bought a neon light and then I think between those two we we're just like right let's let's, uh, let's go to space <laughs> let's do it <laughs> Do you ever um do you ever try and like recreate those textures when you're like working with like everyday objects? Like you've got spoons on the album and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Always looking for the next bit of DIY percussion. <laughs> the next what, condiment. The other, yeah, the next condiment. The other day we we were making up Ned's um, flies on yeah. the trousers, <laughs> so trying to get the perfect sound. It's really good. Um, it's like it's like um, Alex has got. Um, there's a in Louisiana and Cajun music in in Zydeco. It, there's a they play a washboard oh, yeah, and they yeah. play it with spoons and it's and it's um, 
Matt, it's just incredible the rhythms they get. It's just if anyone gets the chance, got to look up some Cajun Zydeco music, and you'll see it. Every band and the flies are the um, poor, sad version of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the really bad version of the spoon ripping down the metal sheet. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of, you can kind of play it like a really bad version. Yeah, we once um, we once mic'd up our radiator. Do you remember that? Oh, the, like a Guero. Yeah, yeah. Um, we mic'd up the radiator, and also once we wrote a song with the Hoover. That was quite good. Wait, what? That, that <laughs> that didn't, that, that, uh, we found out our Hoover was in a certain key and then we just had it as like a drone. <laughs> <laughs> it was in C, it was in C. Yeah, that's great. It was a really bad, uh, it was a really bad Hoover. So it, it had no sucking capabilities. So and it was it, really loud. So we thought, well, we might as well use it as just a um, uh, an instrument. <laughs> I'm not sure that sounded very good, to be honest, yes. but it was quite a good laugh. Yeah. Does that... I mean, how does that change the atmosphere in the room when you kind of come up with a crazy idea like that and you start micing up a fly or trying to play the Hoover? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's usually quite a good crack, to be honest. It's usually quite a, quite a laugh. Quite a good icebreaker. <laughs> I always think, actually, you know you're onto something good when someone someone's bringing something weird into the into the mix. You know, like we. I mean, like the our staple percussive instruments are our range of hot sauces, so Tabasco's, Raj Bonnet. We got a triangle, just that on everything. One of my favourite um, uh, snare drum sounds at the moment is uh, me. I play the oboe and I've got like a case I put all my reeds in and it's got sort of a leather coating on it. And if I put, if I tap my ring on it, it makes a really, really nice, short, deep snare drum sound, which is awesome. So that's that's one of the go-to sounds at the moment in the, in the arsenal. It's for, you kind of do it. As well, like this kind of idea of taking influence from everyday sounds. Like if you think about something like Flesh and Blood, or the only thing you're actually using everyday objects, the kind of the kick drum sound to that, it's like a heartbeat, which then kind of ties thematically into the, you know, the idea of the song. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Has has the everyday kind of always inspired you in that way? Mm, I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like John when he went to Sri Lanka, taking that little, you know. um digital sound recorder like that's definitely that was with and we use a lot we we use that quite a bit some for stuff definitely and like from from anything i mean i've always obsessed with this like there's about a tempo which is great to jump at as well isn't it which i was just we need to find that and like just make the most slamming tune at that tempo 126 you know <laughs> that's true is that yeah. it is that it <laughs> Right. I think that was the Calvin Harris not make an album where every song was 126 BPM. Oh really? Wow. There you go. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> well, it's that old Sly Stone man. I remember that. What's that track? That um, God, I can't remember the name of it now. But I was, that's I remember like watching so many videos of that, and I played it a few times in like house bands, and just being like the energy of the room, and everyone's just jumping. It's just music designed for it you know it's funny how there are these kind of structures that you can use to kind of just spark ideas in that way and that are kind of you know they're guaranteed to kind of work if you can get what you need around them i think it was like it was a dream in color as well where you spoke about how i think were you writing like in six eight and just that beat is kind of really natural to get melodies out that's right man the shuffle groove 12 8 12 yeah, yeah it's um you still you still get a feeling of four beats in a bar which is you know everyone's favorite place to be but then you've it's got you subdivided into groups of three so everything feels like it's kind of this egg rolling down a hill kind of triplety thing which is great for 
lyrics, right? And for for phrasing, melody, it's 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 the gift that keeps on giving. We, I mean, we're mm. we're working on. We've got a couple at the moment. Yeah, we, we've. I think we've sort of said that we'd always love to add a shuffle style groove onto every record. A bit like Steely Dan did that. They always had a shuffle. I think it's also because we, you know, we played have played in lots of like blues rock and roll old r&b bands and stuff like that so that shuffle is always an absolute like the moment you start the shuffle beats the crowd lose their shit really yeah so on is that james brown meets michael jackson kind of kansas city james brown that's that's the tune or little by little as well (laughs) that's uncle phil's tune yeah had you figured out that that beat was going to work in that way then before you used it in a song did you kind of come to that understanding by looking at the music you loved and figuring it out i, th- I remember it was for hypnotized i think was the that first, was the time, first we used time yeah it. and um i remember clocking that it was going to work and it could stay regular wanting to do something in like six or three or 12 or you know with that groups of threes and then with that this sort of getting quite technical with that 12 eight thing as i explained you can keep the four hammering through which is just perfect remedy so and you can do it at anywhere up to about 125 bpm before it starts sounding stupid which is great for you know the energetic kind of funk groove so then as soon as we found that recipe or you know we were like right <laughs> let's have it i, I like the idea you know where you can you find out these techniques and you add them to your toolkit does that when you kind of build up more and more te- techniques and ideas that you can use and implement in songs in that way, does that change the way that you kind of approach the songwriting process initially? Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe that would just be like, a, a, you know, the the very beginnings of an idea. Like, for example, the other day we were discussing it'd be so cool to have a track which is just percussion, no no drum kit. You know that that kind of thing. So that could be or is the starting point of a, an idea. And um, if we can get everything else to sound great around that, then brilliant. If not, then, you know, think of something else. <laughs> and that, yeah, so you have that initial conscious idea. And then again, it comes back to intuition. It'll kind of be what guides you in terms of building out from it. Exactly. Exactly. It's just just, just our the way that we've settled into our writing process anyway. As I'm sure there's no rules and regulations, but um, definitely the sort of our, our little way we've carved out. Yeah. Do you analyze your own songwriting a lot? Do you kind of think about it and unpack it? Uh, yeah, we. I think you know we we scrutinize it a lot just from a quality control point of view, and you know there might be tunes in the past that we weren't as keen on now. Um, I mean, t- to be honest, the album, the Dream of Color album, I love. I really love all of it, and it, and, it, and it kind of yeah, I think it, it it was it was the best we could do at that time. It was like. I'm proud of it, definitely. There, I think in the past there were like there've definitely been moments where you're like, "Oh, could have done that a bit better." But um, M- maybe realised missed a trick here or there. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think we're pretty hard on ourselves, aren't we? Really, definitely. We, as you say, we scrutinise everything. Were you as hard on yourselves before you began working with each other? <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Ned? Oh, yeah, I yeah, probably was. I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean. You know, if you're putting out music that's gonna outlive you, you want to make sure that it's it's got a, there's a level of quality there, and so um, it needs to go through a you know pretty vigorous vetting phase, I guess. 
I'm interested in what we were talking about before we start the new podcast that you've got coming out on Mondays. And it's interesting when you look at the last album campaign, all the kind of stuff you did around it with the live videos, the music videos, and kind of just expanding the music out. Where do you kind of divide the line in your head between where the art stops and like the content surrounding it begins? Or do you kind of just all view it as part of the artistic process? That's such a good question, man. And something I think we're really trying to figure out. You know, I think there's, I think the content bit is incredibly necessary, um, especially the day-to-day kind of content um, to be giving back to your fans and, you know, keeping everyone engaged. I think it's really necessary. But then also that thing of, also it's our, it feels like it's our responsibility to be giving our absolute all when we've got studio time and, you know, putting everything into the music possible. So trying to find a, we're trying to find a way to make that work together and uh, know exactly where that line is of, you know, where creativity can stop for a minute and you go into content world. I mean, of course, a lot of content stuff is creative, but I think we're just, we're trying to figure that one out at the moment, you're saying that. Yeah, uh, 100%, 100%. It's a tricky one. It doesn't come naturally to us, um, mm. you know. If we had it our way, I think we'd go and sort of live in a cave somewhere and with a couple of synths and um you know <laughs> just go on tour every now and again yeah. but uh, you know we we want to we want to be there and be in be in touch with our fans and you know keep up with exciting ideas for new videos and stuff like that and it's good i do i do feel i do feel quite excited by it but um to say it's finding your own cops. way of expressing yourself that feels like it's got integrity as well like it's it's, it's you you know have have you still got the fans whatsapp group as well yeah man yeah that's lovely that's wicked that's really that's cool. so nice yeah just for anyone who doesn't know we've got three whatsapp groups with um our nearest and dearest fans and they could each group can hold about 250 people so we've we've got about 650 700 people on those groups who we share tunes with they they share tunes with each other they get first dibs on you know, ticket sales or whether we're having a drink after a show in previous times, um, all that kind of stuff. And, it's, you know, they'll hear about stuff a little bit sooner. And, you know, it's just a, just a lovely community vibe, really, which is really cool. So big ups to everyone in the WhatsApp groups. Very special to us. Does it feel like more of a kind of intimate way of communicating with them than just putting up a post on Instagram? Oh, 100%. It's chatty, you know, it's chatty. And then we just like, was just send a little pic or a video from us, whatever we're working on in the studio. Yeah, it definitely feels far more intimate than like, you know, an organized post or whatever, or, you know, and also just being able to properly feedback as a group and just chat as a group, it's lovely. And you're on OnlyFans now as well? We've actually, we've <laughs> actually stopped that now, yeah, yeah. Have you stopped it? <laughs> yeah, we, um, we, we, uh, we've, we sort of, uh, well, basically they were amazing and funded us to make the live in the lift video we put out recently which is great and we oh the Martin Jets one yeah man which is awesome mm. and we tried we, we set up started to use their platform but it didn't really cotton on with our fans they uh, I'm not sure how interested they were in our topless pictures etc <laughs> <laughs> um, but but we love the idea of it and we've actually just started up a Patreon page which is the same sort of business podcast, model podcast yeah yeah and, and a few um, other bits and bobs as well, yeah. Mm, and some which, lessons, which, actually, uh, which has been really cool. Yeah, some one-on-one sessions with people. But that sort of is, is doing that OnlyFans idea, but it seems to be a bit more relatable with our with our fans. So, 
Yeah, slightly more open platform, maybe. Yes, that has the, less of a. The, the, I guess OnlyFans has a kind of stigma connotations. I mean, yeah, the other thing is, is like the literally you type in OnlyFans <laughs> into your Instagram, like, and do a post, and you just get hounded with spam. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, so I'm slightly done with that. It's getting annoying. Um, so yeah. Do you do a lot of phones in the studio? What's your kind of relationship like with the internet on quite a tangible day-to-day basis? Oh my god, it's bad. Um, we allow, yeah, phones in the studio definitely. We probably shouldn't. I mean, from my point of view, anyway, I I find it no, very, very. I really feel like phones are the enemy of creativity. Really, in the studio, free thought. You know, it's it's an addictive uh thing social media is very addictive um and and all that addiction does is detract from your own uh thoughts and and imagination and stuff like that because anytime you do have a little time to think and be imaginative and creative inevitably you want to fill those gaps in time with a with a peek at the phone which I definitely the do. problem is, is that the yeah no we we both do. The problem is that there's constant communication going on between us and our and our amazing team at Juicebox, um, and sometimes the band, you know, which just does require you to be on your phone a lot of the time. But then that also, of course, comes with just the scrolly, scrolly, messagey, messagey. The sort of over need for it, but it's just the the world we live in now isn't it it's 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 a shame that no one seems to be able to wait or you know ourselves included can't afford to wait a few hours um which is strange isn't it i wonder if that's going to be the case in a few years in terms of like emails and stuff or like messages yeah, and messages the expectations are like, away well, exactly yeah expectation that, that what well, answers need to be be given straight away um you know that thing of waiting a couple of days for an answer is just doesn't happen anymore, which is which is great, and it's it's amazing to work so closely, especially on WhatsApps, and to be able to ping ideas around um, and questions. But uh, it does, as Neddy says, um, can get in the way. I mean, we tried one point, didn't we, to put our phones off or leave them yeah. outside? But it's just sort of then you, <laughs> you know, you go back to sort of this barrage of huge million messages, and you know, someone's like, "We need an answer. We need an answer." It's like, ah, yeah. I don't care what. Yeah. <laughs> At least, I mean, do you think making art then kind of makes you more aware of these vices in your life, like the way that you can kind of see it in a very tangible way that maybe if you weren't putting yourselves in these scenarios, you wouldn't. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's a. I think I mean on a larger scale, it's a very very big issue in terms of like creativity globally you know and and just people's like insatiable need my i'm speaking for my own person to to like look at my phone for no real reason do you know what i mean like and it's and that has quite a, a massive implications on 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 everything on everyone but definitely in our industry we've spoken a lot over kind of the course of this conversation about the way that your music kind of comes into being through the kind of technical process and everything that informs that. Where do you think your music is kind of in its purest form? Where, when do you consider it to be in its purest form? The half past 10 at night in a festival and p- people are stomping around in the mud and the sound <laughs> system's absolutely on its on, on the edge of blowing up because it's pumping out the bass that's 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 what for me anyway and i think i think that he would disagree too far away but yeah. that's what it's all about for us definitely that raw live f- energy that you can only 
get in those situations kind of thing. Hopefully hopefully a Sunday night slot when everyone's been on it for four days before as well and there's cookie no, left. Nothing left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.